because I think that a lot of the time we think that everybody just is super skilled at something and they they're kind of like wow like it's easy to compare and just be like well how come it's harder for me to do something and how come I don't have this knowledge and you know it goes a lot more beyond it goes way beyond what you see on social media what you see um, on the internet Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Say Your Thing podcast. Yes, I am in a new location today, and it's actually perfect. Um, It's a perfect segue into this episode, which is things that I faked until I made it, because I am completely faking this episode until I make it. (laughs) So I'm in Texas right now. Um, I am in a town called Canyon, Texas, which is actually um, pretty close to the big city of Amarillo in Texas. And I am currently staying at my sister-in-law's house um, on Christmas break. And I honestly did not know how I was going to figure out um, how to uh, record this episode, (laughs) film this episode. So currently I am in the cinema room, which is pretty sweet. As you can see, there's like a Jaws poster here, Planet of the Apes. There's like these chairs that will expand and you can lay back and watch a movie. It's actually like really cool. Um, Big projector. And uh, all this to say is that, um, you know, this is exactly a a really good segue into things that I faked until I made it because I am completely just spontaneously recording this episode in the middle of a cinema room in Texas. So... (laughs) Here we go. Um, yeah, so I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, the weather here has been extraordinary compared to the winter uh, disaster that is Montreal currently. Um, so it's been usually between 15 to 20 degrees here um, and just sunlight, almost no, no uh, clouds in the sky, just beautiful area. And uh, it's actually pretty funny because we were trying to, uh, my sister-in-law's family and I were trying to basically uh, knock down some Texas uh, stereotypes that we may have back in uh, the great north of Canada. And the first day that I came here, I actually saw this like massive tumbleweed, (laughs) just this like massive tumbleweed just like rolling around. Anyway, there's a bunch of tumbleweeds here and the wind is pretty insane as well. Um, and so definitely, uh, the first day that I was here, it was so windy that there was just a bunch of tumbleweeds everywhere and it looked a little bit like the wild west, which was, you know, a little bit stereotypical to Texas, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, other than that, honestly, it's just been amazing being here and, you know, uh, sometimes you just gotta be consistent in whatever you're doing. So that's why I'm filming my episode right in the middle of a cinema room in Texas, because at the end of the day, I really want to get an episode out. And it's really, you know, it's a really good example of just faking it till you make it. So, so what things have I faked until I made it? (laughs) Um, I have a few here. Um, So I'm going to start with number one, which is driving. Yeah, I know how safe it is to fake driving until you make it. But I honestly do believe that I learned how to drive and I 
Like I learned how to drive after I passed my test. I think you could say. Uh, it just so happens that the day that I passed my test, I guess I was just better than usual. But every time that I would drive uh, before my test, I was super nervous and I would just kind of like be just catastrophizing the day that I did have my driver's test. Cause I'm like, oh my God, it's just, I, I don't know. I was just getting so anxious every time that I would get into the car. And like, it came to the point that, um, when I did have my test, I was like, do I actually know how to drive? Like, <laughs> like, I think I had been on a highway like one time, um, just like, you know, and funnily enough, I'm pretty sure that on my driving test, I actually blew a stop. I'm like, or, or like almost blew a stop. Like I just braked too late or something at a stop, which like, you know, looking back, I'm like, why did I pass the test? Um, but yeah, so just kind of like, uh, yeah, blew a stop. And then backwards parking was just terrible. I don't even like, I think I came in at like a, almost like a 45 degree angle. And then I had to like reposition myself and then put myself at like to this day, I've had my license since 2014 and I have not backwards parked once into any space. I refuse to do so. Um, but yeah, so now I can say though, that I'm a, I'm a really good driver. I mean, and I'm not just saying that <laughs> I have been told from other people that I am a really good driver. I'm a very safe driver. I've never been into an accident. I've never gotten a ticket for anything in my life. Um, so definitely a good driver now, but the first time I ever stepped foot in a car, um, and I had my full license and nobody was driving there with me. Like, I can't say that I was like, oh yeah, like I know how to drive like for real. Like I literally learned how to drive by driving alone by myself. Um, so driving was definitely something that I faked until I made it for sure. Um, number two, uh, honestly, graphic design software definitely faked until I made it, <laughs> which is funny. Cause you know, I'm a graphic designer and I have a business and Basically, I make a living off using all of the software and creating stuff. Um, but when I first started design school, so when I started college, I was more in a multidisciplinary uh, art program, which was communication. So it didn't only focus on graphic design. I think I only had taken like one graphic design course in college. And so we didn't learn like really all that much in terms of software, like we maybe touched a little bit of illustrator, a little bit of video editing software, but really like I didn't touch uh, Photoshop, any of that stuff. And back in the day, like I remember this was like back when we used to get these really old versions of like Photoshop and all of these softwares and like they were buggy and you know, a lot of them just didn't work very well. And I kind of, learned them a little bit in class, but not a lot. So I would just kind of go home and practice. But I remember when I used Photoshop for the first time, like the only thing I really used was like filters because it was the only thing that was done automatically because I didn't know how to use masks. I didn't know how to like cut anything, how to transform anything. Um, and yeah, and I was, you know, calling myself a designer. Um, <laughs> and then when I got to university and I did the design program at Concordia, they kind of already expected you to know the software. 
like all of the software. Um, and so even getting into university, I didn't know how to use like all of the main graphic design softwares, which is pretty crazy because my entire degree was based on creating projects with those softwares. Um, and so I definitely faked it until I made it. Sometimes it's like I would create something and then I would have to Google like 10 times just to figure out how to do one thing. And then, um, yeah, like definitely got a lot more experience for university doing that, but it was not, um, it was not something I actually knew. And today I can say that obviously I, I'm a lot more fluent in graphic design software than I used to be, but there are still times today where a client will ask me, oh, can you do this or that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, I could do that. And then I don't actually know how to do it. And then I end up just Googling, YouTubing. Sometimes I get really like obsessed with uh, learning something new because if I don't know how to do something, I tell myself like I am just adding to my toolkit. Um, and especially if it's something that I don't know how to do with graphic design, which today is like pretty rare because I've done it so much. Um, I always take this opportunity to kind of learn how to do things, but let's just say that, um, I kind of faked it until I made it in terms of graphic design software. I really didn't know how to use it. Um, so yeah, the third thing, <laughs> y'all are going to laugh at me. Do you hear me saying y'all? Cause I'm in Texas. Yeah. Y'all are going to laugh at me on this one. Um, so when I was a kid, I was like obsessed with spaghetti. Like I used to eat it. I could eat it for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I just loved spaghetti. And I would always see people in like these restaurants with like the spoon and they would like wrap the pasta in the spoon and then they would just eat it and whatever. And I swear I could not figure out how to eat spaghetti without a knife and a fork. Like it, <laughs> it had to be chopped into a bunch of like different pieces um and that was the only way that I would eat it and it's like that that sounds cute for like you know a five-year-old but when you're like 17 and you still don't really know how to eat spaghetti um you know that could be questionable so I really did have to kind of fake it until I made it and so when I started like I guess when I actually had to start faking it was when I would start you know going on these like fancy meals like these I would go out with my friends or like you know people and like that I used to date and I would see everybody just eating this like fancy spaghetti with their spoons and then I would have to like look and then be like okay they're grabbing their spoon this way and they're grabbing their fork that way and they're twisting it like that and then they're eating and like the fact that there was no knife at the table made me so nervous because I couldn't chop my spaghetti. <laughs> so yeah, like definitely faked eating spaghetti um, until I made it. And then finally, I'm proud to say that today I do not require a knife to eat my spaghetti unless there is a nice piece of bread that I could, you know, spread some butter on. But other than that, um, I do not require a knife. So definitely faked, you know, uh, eating spaghetti until I made it. Um, other than that, I can say that um, book reports and essays. I'm just gonna get more comfortable here. 
book reports and essays. Um, so I've always been kind of a nerd and I love school and I love learning stuff and I love reading and I, you know, like I love theory classes where I could just sit back and kind of listen. And when I took, uh, when I went to university, I did a major in design and a minor in history. And I really loved my minor in history. Like I just love history and I love learning, but let's be real doing a major in design when you have like, you know, four, four hour courses in one week, you know, it occupies a lot of your time. (laughs) And given that I wanted design to be my career and not necessarily history, I definitely devoted less time to history than I did design. And it just so happens that with history, you have a ton of reading material, like a ton of things that you have to, to read, go over. And I just, you know, I really had to figure out ways around this. And I I remember there was this one, um, well, this happened quite a few times, but there was this one um, essay that we had to write and it was all based on this book. And this book, like, I swear, I didn't have a chance to even to even start reading it. Like, I, I didn't even, like, open the book, <laughs> quite honestly, I didn't. And the deadline just kept approaching, approaching. And we had to like basically write this report on this book and talk about like the main aspects of the book. And I was like, there is, there is no way that um, I can, I can read this book. And so I did what many other people do. I went on Cliff Notes or Spark Notes or whatever that is. And then a lot of the time I find that I've been able to kind of bullshit my way through papers because of the fact that I'm a good writer slash bullshitter I don't know um but it just like I'm convincing I think hopefully you guys think so I'm convincing and I ended up like in one night the day before it was due went on cliff notes just like wrote down a bunch of notes and was like okay how am I going to piece together this like 3,000 word essay and I did and it was I mean, it was pretty good for a bullshit paper, honestly, like it was pretty good. And I ended up getting like an A minus on it because I think just the writing was good. Um, But I definitely faked that until I made it. And then I also remember in my first year of university, this was actually for design as well, um, for my major in design, our assignment was to write the cultural impact of a material object, like any design of any form. And I wrote an eight page paper on the cultural impact of post-its and (laughs) I got an A plus on that paper and when we're talking faking until you make it like I did not go into this essay knowing what the cultural impact of post-its were like I got into topics of like productivity hustle culture all sorts of stuff going deep into this like philosophical content for this essay and um it was it was crazy um and I ended up getting an A plus like and the professor wrote that they're like oh my god a first year student was able to come up with like such such like profound material and it's like I almost had with these kinds of essays I almost had like imposter syndrome because I'm just like I don't believe like I deserve this kind of praise for these essays but I'm starting to realize that I think like my family like my brother and my sister were all just really good writers 
and we've kind of all been able to just bullshit our way through papers and um yeah definitely fake that until I made it so um book reports and essays yeah um number five I think this I, I think I'm definitely not the only one who has faked this until I made it but accounting for business or anything legal or accounting or bureaucracy wise I guess you want to kind of call it um I basically one day to the next became a business owner I was 22 years old and I just decided to start a business and I knew that I loved design I knew that I was good at creating stuff did I know anything about sales tax income tax like registration um you know legal like contracts agreements all that kind of stuff nothing I didn't know anything and a lot of that like I feel like at 22 years old you kind of just want to focus on the stuff that you want to focus on like you just want to have fun and you want to explore the things that you're interested in and you don't want to have to do the boring stuff and but you also don't want to spend money (laughs) at 22 years old you also don't want to spend money And so I was like, you know, I had my dad doing some of my accounting and then I agreements. I was just kind of like, okay, at first I didn't really understand the value today. I I understand the value of having contracts like tremendously, of course, because you protect yourself. Um, But I, I really had to fake that until I made it. And I would have clients asking me like, oh, like, do you have an agreement in place? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I have an agreement in place. And then I would have to before I send it, just research, okay, what kind of agreement do I have to write for this? Or, okay, you know, for my invoices, like how, how do I prepare an invoice? What, what kind of information has to be on an invoice? Um, and so just being a business owner and management, like, is something I definitely had to fake until I made it. I'm a designer and that's it. Being a business owner was something I definitely had to learn. I didn't go to school for it. I wasn't really coached by anybody on how to do it. And so definitely fake that until I made it yeah and I'm sure I'm not the only one in terms of entrepreneurs who have faked being business owners before they made it so (laughs) definitely that um number six so this one this one I have to say is like one for the books it's probably the most epic story of all time because I really did not think I was I was going to be successful um and I did so Basically, in high school, um, on your last year in Sec 5, you get to go on like these two trips. You can either go to New York or you can go to Europe. And then the trips to Europe would kind of always change. It could be like, you know, Greece one year. It could be Italy the next year. Um, And anyway, so I really wanted to go to Europe. And Europe is crazy expensive. Like, of course, going from Canada to Europe is crazy expensive. And I know that my, my parents were like, were always kind of like, okay, everybody's going to end up going to New York. So my brother had gone to New York. My sister had gone to New York. And then when it came to my turn, when I was in sec five, I was like, I just want to go to Europe. Like I want to go to Europe. And of course I'm not going to, you know, force my parents to pay for my Europe trip, which was like ridiculously expensive. Um, (laughs) And at the time I was working part-time at uh, Staples. And so I wasn't making enough money to pay for this crazy expensive Europe trip, but I just really wanted to go. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I'm going to make this happen. And so one day 
I had this wild idea um, because I saw that the Europe trip kids were selling chocolate. Like, you know, those boxes that you would get uh, from like these companies where half the amount would basically go to the company and then the other half would go to you and that's how you would raise funds. But it was always like the boring chocolates, like Jersey milk, like who's Jersey milk type of thing. (laughs) And yeah, like all of these chocolate bars and they were really expensive. So at the time they were $3 a bar, which like, let's be real, high school kids don't have $3 a bar to spend. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so uh, I had this kind of wild idea where I was going to go to the dollar store, buy these $1 chocolate bars and the good chocolate bars, like the arrows and the Kit Kats the coffee crunches, the Smarties, the Reese's Pieces, all of the good ones. And I was going to buy them for a dollar and I was going to sell them for double. So I was going to sell them for $2 instead of $3. And so I had the advantage of one, having the chocolate be less expensive and two, um, having the chocolate that people actually wanted. So I went out to breakfast with my parents one morning to try to present them this proposal of me going to Europe and how I was going to do it. So I asked them, uh, I asked them for one thing. I'm like, mom and dad, take the money that you were going to spend for me to go to Europe and pay my deposit for the Europe trip. Cause it was going to come out to the same as the Europe trip, um, for the deposit of the Europe trip and pay that. And I will figure out the rest of the money. And they were just like, but Kina, like, how are you going to, how are you going to come up with like thousands of dollars, you know, because I definitely wasn't making enough uh, at the Staples to pay for that for sure. So I was like, I presented them the Dollarama chocolate idea. And they were just dumbfounded. They were like, but how is this even going to work? I'm like, all I ask is that you place your faith in me. And I promise I will figure out how to make the rest of the money. And so they did. So they paid my deposit. And then I went on my first Dollarama track, trek, and I bought a bunch of chocolate. And then I tried for the first time and I sold it at the school. It, it blew up. It became a sensation in my high school. Um, I was literally known as the chocolate girl. Like people would come, would like follow me and Like I had the daily customers and I had the customers that would buy in bulk where it would be like a bunch of chocolates at once. On Valentine's Day, I took advantage and I bought all of like the hearts, the roses, like all of these kinds of stuff. I set up a booth in the hallway and all of the boyfriends who like basically forgot to buy their girlfriend stuff would like come rushing to my booth and then buy these cards. I had gum at some point and whatever. And, um... Yeah, like it blew up. I had chips. Chips. Yeah. Um, and it just blew up and I made enough to pay for my Europe trip. <laughs> so between the deposit that my parents paid, the insane amount of money that I made selling chocolate and a little bit of my part-time job money, I was able to go to Europe and I think after that, my parents were just kind of like, 
we need to just let her do her own thing because clearly she's just she'll figure it out along the way you know she may make some mistakes but she's gonna figure it out along the way and I did and so I faked that Europe trip until I made it when I signed up for that Europe trip and I spoke to my my professor who was organizing the trip I was like yep all good the money's coming it's gonna happen um and with not really any idea if I was going to be successful or not and I did and so definitely faked that until I made it um so yeah that was number six um oh yeah okay number seven this is again in the realm of graphic design so one thing is is like I feel like I've always kind of had these specific categories of graphic design that I've been better at so for example like web design I've always been better at programming I've always been better at making websites I've always been good at like video post-production um kind of creating animation effects um and just kind of working with material that already exists and kind of creating these montages that's that's things that I've generally been better at in terms of graphic design I feel like the thing that I I was the biggest learning curve for me was branding. So creating logos, uh, choosing color schemes and all that kind of stuff. And that was something I really had to kind of learn along the way. And again, it wasn't something we really learned back in school. Um, and it also is one of the parts of graphic design where our clients are just the pickiest because you are literally coming up with a concept that shows their entire identity their entire brand uh, their mission statement so it has to be really like a lot of the time clients will already have this idea of what they want and they just don't really know how to kind of piece it together and they're looking for designers so you kind of have to be extremely attentive to what the client wants um and I kind of just really had to learn that and so I remember when I made my first logo it was awful absolutely awful and I really had to fake it until I made it um because now I know that like you should present multiple options and when you do give a logo you should have a branding guide so everything remains consistent and all that but I didn't know any of that and I remember I once got a client and this is kind of what helped me out I had a client where it was I didn't have to do their logo or their branding but they gave me their brand guide and so I was able to see what another designer had basically established and I'm like oh like this is what I should be giving to clients if I am making a logo if I'm making a brand um and yeah and I you know I faked it until I made it I presented myself you know as a as a branding designer but I didn't really know and I think that that, that's what's really interesting about you know working and starting off is that a lot of companies will be like we want this much experience and we want that like at the end of the day you got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And if no one is willing to give you a chance, how are you ever able to even build the experience that it takes to get to a level of like, you know, competence that that company wants to see? And so a lot of the time, and I, and I learned very quickly on, especially being a business owner, that you got to really figure things out on your own take your own time and kind of learn and just try to be the best that you can be surround yourself with people who know what they're talking about you know take material don't look at everything as competition but look it as inspiration look it as you know things that can help guide you in what you need to do and so branding was something that I really faked until I made it and today I can say that obviously I have a lot more experience than that but 
you know, offering branding when I first started off, like I faked it until I made it. I really didn't know what I was doing. So yeah, definitely that. And the last one um, is cooking. (laughs) Oh man. So it just so happens that I actually never learned how to cook. Like I didn't really ever learn how to cook. Like the most I ever made was like eggs and toast. And that was like really, you know, basic stuff. And I remember my mom was kind of always, um, afraid of like fire and things like that. So she was very wary of us like using the kitchen and kind of exploring the kitchen. And, and I kind of like never really questioned it. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And I figured that everybody just learned how to cook when they were adults, but like, no, my friends knew how to cook from like when they were 10 years old and, when they moved out, you know, they were already making all sorts of stuff. And like, oh man, I remember like when I moved out for the first time and I had to cook for myself, I had to like learn how to like put chicken in the oven and like what temperature should I put it at? Like it was, how do I put stuff in a pan without burning it with temperature, like how long I should put it. And a lot of it, I just had to fake it until I made it. And, you know, I love hosting and I love having people over. And so obviously having people over you need to kind of feed them because if not it's a very strange get together um and so a lot of the time it would be a mix of like buying things that were already made or just kind of like okay trying out this new recipe and then hoping it turns out good before people come over um and just yeah and it's like also living on your own you kind of want to eat well, right? Like you want to eat good food and it's like, you're not going to have eggs and toast every day. So at some point you got to learn how to actually make food. And I really had to fake it until I made it. Um, and today I could still say that I'm, I'm really definitely not like an advanced, uh, cook or anything like that. And I feel like I'm still faking it until I make it. Um, but it just so happens that I live downtown. So all the good food is pretty much already there. I don't have to look very far to get there. Um, but yeah, I'm always impressed by people who just know how to cook these crazy meals and these crazy things and like that they know exactly the kinds of spices that they have to put for this and that. Um, like we call my mom the chemist, like the kitchen chemist, because she just knows exactly the right amount of stuff to kind of make a meal to make it have like for it to be perfect. And, um, yeah, definitely had to fake that until I made it. So yeah, see, I'm not perfect. And I'm really curious what you faked until you made it. If you want to comment down below, if you want to, you know, kind of just uh, post on Instagram and let me know what you faked until you made it. Um, because I think that a lot of the time we think that everybody just is super skilled at something and they they're kind of like wow like it's easy to compare and just be like well how come it's harder for me to do something and how come I don't have this knowledge and you know it goes a lot more beyond it goes way beyond what you see on social media what you see um, on the internet like people have had to you know go through all sorts of journeys to figure out how to make something how to do something how to be something Um, and so you know, I think that if we start sharing a little bit more about things that we faked until we made it, we can start to see that everybody has things that they're, that they had to really work hard to be or to get or, and, um, 
not everything is just handed over. Not everything is just easy for everybody. Everybody struggles through things. Um, and so, yeah, let me know, um, what are some things that you faked until you made it? And, um, you can follow me on Instagram at say your thing. You can watch me on YouTube at say your thing. Um, I'm pretty much everywhere at say your thing. Um, so definitely say your thing to me on Instagram or wherever. Um, and you might have a chance of being on the podcast. So that would be pretty cool. Um, and like I mentioned in my last episode, if you can like subscribe, share and leave a rating because it actually really does help the show grow and it helps people find the content if it's interesting to other people. And, um, basically the objective is to just spread some empathy and show that we're all human. So yeah, I would very much appreciate it. And I will be leaving Texas in a few days and my next episode will be back in the depths of the Canadian winter, which I am not looking forward to unless I decide to just stay in Texas forever. Who knows? We'll see. I guess you'll find out in my next episode. All right, guys, have a good week.